It's good to be with you again this morning. Open your Bibles to Mark chapter 1, please. And have, have you ever noticed in life that you tend to prepare for the things you value the most? If you don't value something or you value maybe a multiple, multiple other things more than something you may not prepare as much for it. And that's okay. It's in sometimes it's okay. But you tend to prepare for the things you value the most. I remember when I worked at Chick-fil-A, I would be interviewing young people coming in and I'd say, what is, what is it about Chick-fil-A that makes you want to work here? And they would say, I need a job. Yeah. Like, well, that's probably not the best answer, kids. If you're looking for a job and the, inter- the person that you might work for asks you why you want to work there, tell them how great the company is. Don't tell them you need a job. All right. But we tend to prepare for the things that we value. I've often joked around at our house and said, the first step to a clean house is inviting someone over for dinner. That's the first step, right? Because as soon as you do, it's like this knowledge that people are coming compels you to clean and get ready for them. You wanna be ready when they're there. You want things in order. You don't want a bunch of stuff that's left undone. You want it to be done well. Maybe you're a little concerned about your outward appearance and that's okay too but you want people to feel valued and cared for, so you get ready for them. And that's what's going on in Mark chapter one right here. We've come to this moment in history where God is preparing the way for the greatest act of redemption, the greatest revelation of his glory and his work in history. What God's about to do in and through his son, he prepares the world for. And there's a pattern here a way here that we see in John's interaction with these people and their response in the coming of Christ that I think is a way for each of us to live out daily in our lives as we look at Mark 1, 1 through 8. So let's read this text together. And then we're gonna look at who is this guy preparing? Who is this guy, John? How do you prepare for Jesus? And then how we should receive Christ regularly. Just receive Jesus regularly. So Mark 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I will send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. In all the country of Judea, in all Jerusalem, were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. Now, John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandal I am, sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would attend to us now by your grace, by the power of your spirit. Give us eyes to see your beauty and your word here, to come to you regularly and to embrace you, the power of your spirit in our life, so that we might see you this morning and become more and more like you as we reflect on your word. Sanctify us in your truth, we pray. Amen. All right, we get introduced to a curious figure here in Mark chapter one. And if you've read the other accounts of John the Baptist, you know this guy is an interesting guy. There's a 
character moving throughout the Old Testament that is often a mysterious figure. He's discussed in many places throughout the Old Testament. And Mark alludes to a couple of those references here, but the key things to know about this guy, this character that was coming, this one that was prophesied about, is that he was a messenger sent by God and the messenger is gonna precede God himself. So this figure following the messenger will be God. So this messenger is going to come, he's going to serve his purpose, and after him will come God himself. You see this in several places, but in Mark chapter 1, verse 2 and 3 here, he quotes from, primarily from Isaiah chapter 40. And the people of Israel have not heard from God in a while, and so they would be looking for a messenger. They would be aware of their Bibles. And Isaiah 40, verses 3 through 5 says this, and you'll, you'll actually hear, Remember this probably from verse 2 and 3 in Mark 1. A voice cries, In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill shall be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, the rough places a plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. See, so there's a voice crying out, prepare the way, and then the glory of the Lord will be revealed. Someone's declaring to prepare the way. And when Isaiah said this, Mark would have known this, his readers would have been somewhat aware that Israel was in Babylonian captivity when they heard this promise. Prepare the way of the Lord, every mountain will be made flat, right? Smooth paths, and God's going to lead you out of this Babylonian captivity. That's what Isaiah 40 would have meant to the original hearers. And not long after that, King Cyrus would have said, you guys, you're free to go back to Israel. You're free to go back. And they would have seen this as a bit of a fulfillment of Isaiah 40. But what Mark is saying is that that was a deliverance of sorts, but there's a much larger deliverance that's now coming. There's something far greater that's coming through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And although Mark says he's quoting Isaiah the prophet, he also references Malachi 3.1. And this was after the, the time the Jews had come back and they'd rebuilt the temple, but everything they'd hoped for and longed for hasn't, it wasn't quite happening, right? The Messianic age hasn't come. Israel has not returned to this supreme place in the world. And Malachi says, there's a messenger that will come and prepare the way before the Lord. And then he later identifies this messenger as Elijah in Malachi 4.5. I'll send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord. And so again, you have another prophet saying there's a messenger that's coming. And Malachi would seem to say Elijah or the spirit of Elijah. And it's coming before a great and awesome day of the Lord. He's preceding God himself what God's going to do. And so the people may have thought, well, Elijah went up in a chariot. Maybe he'll come back and prepare the way. Or maybe it's just the spirit of Elijah. But either way, there's a, someone's going to come, a messenger's going to come and prepare us for the Lord. And look at verse 6 in Mark 1 there. What's John wearing? Now, John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. Kids, don't complain about lunch today. 
okay? John the Baptist ate locusts and wild honey, right? I like crawdads. I call them mud bugs. Um, Sarah doesn't like it when I call crawdads mud bugs. I like frog legs. I'll eat oysters. I guess I can show John some grace about eating uh, locusts. But this was the diet of a guy who lived in the wilderness. This is pretty common if you live in the desert to eat locusts. So be thankful that you live in Colorado Springs. But guess where Elijah often dwelled in his prophetic ministry? He dwelled in the wilderness. Guess what kind of clothes Elijah wore? A garment of hair. And John wore camel's hair. Guess what Elijah wore around his waist? A belt. John 2. Guess what Elijah did? He preached against King Ahab. And who does John preach against? King Herod. And eventually gets him beheaded. And Elijah renews God's covenant on Mount Carmel in a very significant display of God's power. And here John is preparing the way for the new covenant in Christ. So John is including what I've always thought were kind of weird details as I read this, camel's hair, locusts, wild honey. What he's doing is he's saying this is that messenger that has been declared, he's been prophesied about, he's coming like Elijah to prepare the way for the Lord. He wants us to see that this is who John is. And John knew this about himself. He knew that he was there to prepare the way. When the Jews sent priests and Levites to ask John whether he was the Christ, he said no. He said no. I'm the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, John 1.23. So he knew his call. And the reason he knew it was because when he was born, Zechariah, his father, prophesied about him. And think, hear what, hear what his dad said about him, his son. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. This is Luke 176. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of sins because of the tender mercy of our God whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. So Zechariah and Elizabeth knew this about John and they were faithful to teach John this and to tell him this. And John grew and became strong in spirit and he was in the wilderness until the public appearance that he made here. And this is where Mark picks us up. It's critical to see that this is a vital and significant moment in history. This is a moment that hundreds and hundreds of years of prophecy have been discussing. And the people hadn't seen it yet. They were longing for this. They were hungering for this. This is a moment that God's beginning to work when apart from Christ's incarnation and the flurry of activity around his birth, there was about 400 years of silence from God. The promises are being relayed. They know a messenger's coming, but he hasn't come yet. And they're hungry. They need redemption. They want redemption. And so John comes and says, prepare the way. Get ready. God's doing a work. This is a continuation of what God has done throughout all of history. Right? After sin entered the world, a curse was pronounced. God said, the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. The serpent will strike his heel. The seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. And we're seeing this. This is Jesus coming and beginning this miraculous, marvelous work, the greatest work of redemption God's people will ever know. 
This is right now. It's this critical moment. And so what John wants people to do, and I think what we need to take note of ourselves, is that he's wanting us to remove barriers, remove things that keep us from the full and free access and enjoyment of the living God. Make his path straight, not crooked, not difficult, right? Flatten the mountains, right? I'd rather drive north and south in this city than east and west, I'm learning, right? There's a lot of more easy access. It's 85 miles from here to Boulder. It's 85 miles from here to Leadville. Which would you rather walk? Now, I'd rather see the country between here and Leadville, but I'd rather walk to Boulder because it's straight mostly. It's paths are smoothed out a little bit, right? John's saying, open wide your heart and make the path smooth to Jesus. He wants you to be prepared to meet the Lord in your life. And so what's he doing to prepare you for that? So how do you prepare for the Lord? Well, verses four and following, he goes in to say, I think a broad category for what he's doing here is to say, see yourself rightly. See yourself rightly. As he comes right out of the gate in verse four, John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So he's right out of the gate, he's baptizing, to immerse, to plunge in. But this was more than just a going in the water and coming out. This was a recognition that you need transformation. You need washing, you need renewal in your life. This was a common practice in the first century, one that would show one's newfound commitment to joining a group's teaching or practices. And, and here John's using it to call people to moral and spiritual complete transformation. And, and why is that? Well, because well, he wasn't holding back because they were sinners and they needed renewal. They needed to be transformed. They needed to be washed clean. They needed a new life. And so he's awakening them to their sinfulness through this call for a baptism, a baptism of repentance and forgiveness of sins. And because he identified himself as this one who prepares the way for the Lord, his actions would have inevitably felt a bit insufficient, right? So, okay, I was baptized by John, but he keeps telling me someone is greater that's coming. He said, there's more. I was baptized. I confessed my sin. What now? Right? So he, in, in calling them to be baptized because they need transformation, they need renewal, but he, he's also creating this void. But then what's next? And he calls them to repentance. So it's a baptism, but it's a, a baptism of repentance. He's just creating a hunger for the Son of God in us as we see ourselves rightly. So he calls us to repentance, a recognition that you're heading in the wrong direction. A recognition that you, you've been pursuing sin, you've been pursuing your own desires, and you now need to turn and have a new orientation in life. You make your mind up that this is, the, this is the way that's true and everlasting. This is the way that honors God. It's a, it's a willful act to go, go in a new direction. It's not just based on emotional appeal. Right, if you follow Jesus long enough, you know that you've turned from sin to follow him because some days you delight in him and some days because you don't 
really want to go down that sin. And some days you don't feel like it at all, but you know it's right. You choose to repent and follow Jesus. It's a rational, radical mind change. In Luke, they ask him, right? Some of them come to John the Baptist. What does it look like to repent? What does this look like? Well, he says, you know, you need to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And so he actually tells them, if you repent, he says, give to those in need. And he tells tax collectors, notorious for robbing, only gather what you're permitted and treat people with respect. And then he tells soldiers who have power and authority, do not extort money. Do not extort money. Do not use threats to get what you want. Be content with your wages. And so when John's preaching this repentance, he's preaching a repentance that is complete and it's turning from sin in all of life, all of mind, all of your will, a new direction. But I've often confined Christianity or repentance as kind of me and God, right? I repent and I'm gonna renew my focus and devotion to Jesus. But John is also saying it has radical impacts on your neighbor, and your friend, because when they asked him, what do I do for repentance? What does he tell the soldiers? Don't exact money. Tax collectors, don't take more than you should. Generally speaking, give to those in need. So that repentance has a vertical element. It's you're returning to, from sin to God, but you're also turning from sin to God to be a blessing out, to impact society around you. It's a personal act towards God, a public act towards your neighbor. John was baptizing, calling for repentance and forgiveness of sins. And then what are the people doing? Well, they're confessing their sins. In all of this, since how, without their knowledge of who Jesus is and what he's about to do, they're gonna be left wondering, okay, baptism, okay, I repent. Is there more to this? Is there more to this? I mean, how do I keep going? We'll get there. In a bit. So they're confessing their sins. When you see yourself rightly, you recognize you've fallen short of God's glory, don't you? You recognize that you're, you're a sinner in need of forgiveness. And so you confess those things that you know displease the Lord. You confess sin and you get it out on the table. You're essentially agreeing with who God says you are when you confess your sin. He knows all things. There's a beauty and a sweetness to confessing sin, isn't there? When you, when you pronounce it and you own it and you confess it and get it out in the open to be dealt with, there is a relief that comes in that. A much, more greater, a much greater relief when you think of it in light of Christ Jesus. And so we're gonna get there. I want us to feel a little bit of this tension like they're baptized, but they don't know fully about Jesus. They repent, but like, not like us. They don't know everything Jesus can do in their life, right? Not yet, because he hasn't come. And now they're confessing their sins, but unlike us, there's an uncertainty of how are those sins paid for? How are those sins dealt with? And in all of this, John is preparing the way, right? Creating in them that hunger for Jesus. So he's confronting them in their sin, calling them out, and what happens? Look at verse five. All the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him 
So they're coming in droves from all over to hear this guy that keeps calling them out on their sin, to confess their sin. All Jerusalem. So some may have walked 60 to 70 miles. There's not certainty, but they think he probably worked his way up from the Dead Sea up the River Jordan towards the Sea of Galilee. And that people were just coming. They'd heard about this man. This is perhaps the long-awaited messenger that's preparing the way for the Messiah. They knew their promises from their Bible. They were looking for this. And so then their hearts are being prepared as they come and they hear about this man. John's preparing them. He's baptizing them. They're confessing their sins. They're repenting. But then they come up and I'm sure they wondered, I was baptized, but am am I clean forever? Like I still feel guilt. I still feel shame over my sin. I hear my sins are forgiven, but how? How can my sins be forgiven? I confessed my sins, but before I got out of the water, I sinned again. <laughs> how, how do I know that my sins will continually be forgiven? I was baptized, I repented, I confessed my sin, <clears throat> but I lack power. Like, I lack the strength to walk in righteousness. What can be done? And so John has prepared them to say, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So that when Jesus comes walking up and he declares that, all of this uncertainty is now turned to, well, Jesus, this is God's son who came to offer full forgiveness. And when we repent to give us full strength to walk in new ways of righteousness and to give us a full and complete baptism. And so when you see yourself rightly as a sinner in need of grace, in need of transformation, in need of strength, then John turns to say, see Christ clearly. See Christ clearly. Look at verse seven. And he preached saying, after me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I've baptized you with water. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So they're looking for the one that's mightier than John. And John says, there he is. Here he comes. And it's Jesus. And he wants us to see Jesus clearly. He first says he's mightier than I. Jesus has a superior might. John cannot do what Jesus does. Jesus has all power. He also has a superior glory, such glory that John says in his humility, I am not willing, I'm not able to stoop down and untie his sandals. That is such a display of lowliness. Imagine a master coming home from a long trip with feet that are dirty and dusty, roads that have been laden with perhaps disease and bacteria from food, from human and animal waste, to take off his sandals is the lowest of jobs. And only Gentile slaves were permitted to do this. And John says, I'm not worthy of the task to do that. I'm below that. So you, when you see Christ clearly and you see yourself clearly, you look to the Savior from this place of great humility and great awareness of your need for him and then in a willingness to do whatever he says. 
an awareness that you're a most unworthy servant. And so you look at John and John's like, like, I'm the moon reflecting the light. Jesus is the light. He's the sun. The way is coming. I'm just preparing the way. One of infinite value is arriving soon. I'm of finite momentary value. I'm pointing to the truth, eternal truth in the person of Jesus Christ will soon be here. And so they're looking to see Christ clearly, Christ clearly. So just compare these, these two ministries of John, right? John called for repentance. He could not grant the power to repent. Yet here's Jesus coming to baptize with what? What does he say? Baptize you with the spirit who gives the strength to walk in newness of life, right? Bearing fruit, reflecting the image of Jesus Christ. John called them to confess their sins and receive forgiveness. But John could not deliver them from their sins and offer them forgiveness. And yet when Jesus arrives, John will say, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John baptized with water, a symbol of washing, but only the washing itself. Our Lord alone can fulfill the spiritual realities that baptism points to, the true and eternal cleansing from sin, the awakening us from the dead, the uniting us to him, that baptism is a picture of, that we've died with Jesus, been buried with him in baptism, raised again to walk in newness of life. And John, Jesus baptizes us with the spirit. It pours out upon us, falls on us, comes to us, sent to help, awakens us to our sin, strengthens us to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel, of Jesus Christ. He gives us life because where life is in Christ. And when we're in Christ, we have the spirit of Jesus in us. So how privileged are we to be on this side of Jesus? They had that void of repentance and confession and baptism, but it, it but the full and final solution wasn't there. And then here comes Jesus. And now we look back. They did not know exactly what Jesus was gonna do. We look back now and see exactly what Jesus did. That through his death on the cross, through conquering the grave, he alone takes our sin. He alone receives the penalty for it. He alone forgives us of our sin, gives us the spirit. What they were longing for, you and I now can enjoy fully in Jesus Christ through faith in him. So this process that they went through of their heart was prepared and awakened to sin and then they looked to Jesus, but they weren't knowing exactly what he was about to do. We now should walk in that same process, but fully knowing what Jesus has done. This should be the regular pattern of our life. Jesus came and said, I am the way the truth and the life. And John's saying, prepare the way for Jesus. And following Jesus is a way. It's a way of life. It's a, it's a journey in life. It's a consistent pattern in life. And let this pattern of the awareness of your sin and your brokenness when you see yourself rightly immediately turn you to see Jesus rightly and receive Jesus completely in every facet, in every arena of your life. When you woke up this morning, perhaps on the way to brew coffee, you did a bodily inventory of everything that hurt. <laughs> That's a reminder you need Jesus. 
It's just a reminder that things aren't the way they're supposed to be. And then when you look to Christ, you're going to see a redeemer that made all things new and will make all things new. And someday you'll have a new body and a future home where righteousness dwells. Or when you lose it at home, maybe you lose it at work, you give full vent to your anger and you're suddenly confronted by your sin. Just confess it openly, confess it quickly. I'm sinfully angry right now. Get it out there. And then turn to your all-sufficient savior, the lamb who takes away the sins of the world, who can forgive you of your sin and has given you the power of the spirit to empower you to new life. Or in the privacy of your mind, you wander to images and thoughts that you have no right to and you do not honor the Lord. And the spirit brings about conviction. Turn and confess your sin quickly. And who do you see? You see Jesus. Tell it to Jesus, the lamb slain. And receive the forgiveness that's yours in Christ and the spirit of God that's alive and at work in you that Jesus baptized you with, his spirit. And then gives you, empowers you to walk in a pure and holy life, to set your mind on things above. See, this pattern that we see from John is a pattern for all of life, turning from sin, confessing it, and looking to Jesus, our Savior, as you again embrace his deliverance and his forgiveness. And you again realize his death can save you from the wrath that is to come. And when you're doing that, you're just preparing the way to, as you see your need of Jesus, you're preparing the way for Jesus into your heart, into your life over and over and over. And he who is forgiven much loves much. As you consistently are aware of your brokenness and your sin, and you consistently turn to Jesus and receive that forgiveness, guess what happens in your heart? Your love for the Lord increases and it abounds. But this repentance and this kind of life has a social impact, as John pointed out in his gospel to Luke when he was preaching in Luke. So think for just a minute the impact it would have on those around you to live in that cycle of confession of sin, repentance, embracing forgiveness. Think about the sweetness repentance creates in every relationship. Right, so because you're secure in the forgiveness that you have in Christ, because you know you stand before the Lord, no condemnation, fully accepted in Christ. When you sin against your brothers and sisters and you're quick to confess that sin and you're quick to repent and go to them and seek restoration, just imagine a marriage marked by regular confession of sin, not doubling down, regular and quick confession and repentance and prayer to receive anew God's forgiveness and strength. Imagine a church where sin is confessed quickly, repentance is practiced, restoration is realized. Imagine a home that's marked by regular repentance among all, not just the kids. Don't just make the kids do it. Model it for them. Show it to them. Own it when you fail. Imagine a workplace that would bear the fruit of this kind of life of confession of sin, repentance, receiving and embracing Christ's forgiveness. What a sweet reality that would be. And that's what John came to prepare the way for. Prepare the way for the Lord so that we'd see ourselves rightly and then turn and see Christ clearly. 
the mighty one, the glorious one who alone can give you of his spirit. As John later said in life about Jesus, he must increase, I must decrease. And this is what will happen in you if you prepare the way for the Lord. As you know your sin and confess it, that long awaited Messiah that we've been looking for that has now come and we know what he has done. As you receive him in each day, day in and day out, Christ will increase in your life as you'll continually mature to be more and more like him. Let's pray together and then we'll respond in worship. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for coming. And John, uh, thank you for sending John to prepare the way that we might know how to prepare our hearts for you, Lord. We pray that as we're struck by our own sin, as we see our own great need for uh, salvation, our need for renewal, our need for transformation, Lord, we pray that you would work in our hearts to help us turn to you quickly, convict us of sin, and help us receive and embrace the forgiveness that is ours in you, Lord Jesus. Jesus, thank you that you are our sure and certain salvation, that in you we are secure, that we know our sins are forgiven. And we pray, Lord, that you, uh, as you hold us fast, we will find in that security the freedom to worship you, to confess sin frequently, receive the forgiveness that's ours, and that you would transform our relationships with those around us as you hold us fast. We ask all this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. As we do respond in singing, I'll, I'll be down front if I can pray with you or serve you in any way. I would love to do that. You can come to me after as well, but I just want to make myself available to you in this time.